lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace alongside Totters and Aaron McIntyre. And our new friend Paul Alexander here will be joining us here in just a moment for the Dace Group Roundtable. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. D-E-A-C-E is how to properly spell the last name. I have no idea where you will go on the interwebs if you spell it wrong, nor will I be held responsible. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, over on Parlor at Steve Dace, and check out our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And if you're looking for something to buy that's relatively inexpensive for Christmas, my next book, the novella sequel to a nefarious plot, which we are developing into a motion picture as we speak, a nefarious carol comes out on December the 15th. Pre-sales are now available at Amazon.com for A Nefarious Carol. And my kids are looking forward to a good Christmas this year, so you need to do your part, frankly. All right? It is a Friday, so you know the drill. Coming up next hour, we'll get to some of the feedback that you have been sending us. But we begin, as we always do, with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was. So, Paul Alexander, former communications strategist for the Tulsi Gabbard presidential campaign. It's the first time you have ever been with us here, Paul. Yes, we totally ripped off the music. We ripped off the logo. Uh, we ripped off the format. Uh, we ripped off the imaging, all of it. But it's PBS and John McLaughlin is dead now. So, I think we're good to go. All right. So, so yes, that is familiar. And we didn't come up with anything original. We ripped it all off. I loved this show as a kid. And I thought if I ever get the chance as an adult, I'm just going to rip this show off. And now that I'm adult and I got the chance, I'm ripping it off. Now, this is going to be interesting, Aaron. I don't know if you felt the pressure. This is the first time we've ever done this with an actual Democrat with us on the show. Okay. But we begin, as we always do, with issue one. Bleep. Democrats say. You know, we're not here to make political statements. We're, we're here to help make our communities better. The only person calling to defund the police is, is Donald Trump. Really um, wonderful. I mean, they're an incredible family. And what they've endured, and they just do it with such dignity and grace. So let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. Um, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. He purposefully put them in danger of their lives for his political picture of people applauding him and chanting and screaming and waving their arms and literally infecting everybody in the room. The president purposefully put people in danger of their lives. we We are listening to the president of the United States on tape deliberately undermining the security of the national security of the United States, the health and well-being of the people of the United States. 
This is one of the great presidential felonies of all time. Donald Trump caused the COVID outbreak in New York. Donald Trump caused the COVID outbreak in New York. That is a fact. I just think we need to hunker down and get through this fall and winter because it's not going to be easy. We know every time we restrict, we lift restrictions, we get a blip. I mean, it's getting, it's whack-a-mole. I mean, this idea of, you know, slow joke. <laughs> I, anyway, I, I shouldn't laugh about it because, uh, anyway, Donald Trump, uh, just look at us both, watch us and determine whether or not you think uh, um, I'm misleading anyone, not you personally, but the public. Well, thank you all. I carry with me, I don't have it, but I gave, gave it to my staff, but I carry with me in my pocket a, do I have that around anyone? Where's my staff? I gave it away anyway. I carry a schedule in my pocket. And what makes his wild claims and hopes, he now hopes we don't notice what he said or won't remember. And when he does follow through or doesn't do, when follow through, the exact opposite. Celebrating a baby's genitalia is starting to feel very outdated. Like given everything we're learning about gender, gender reveal parties should only happen when the child is old enough to know their actual gender and to pitch in some cash for the fire damage. And honestly, I don't even know why we need gender reveal parties. You know what we do need though? Race reveal parties. So let's get to it. I'm just going to start with you, Paul, because I'm dying to get your reaction to that. So the first question, what was your favorite drink of the crazy juice this week? Paul Alexander, you're up. Well, I do appreciate the trolling of using the Russian national anthem for that montage. So that is well played, Aaron. But I will have to um, reject the, the framing of the question in that choosing a favorite would imply I find any of this remotely entertaining, when in fact I think the fact that the one of two major parties in this country either openly embracing or being permissive of extremism uh, is, is disheartening, to be frank. Uh, it wasn't so much highlighted in your montage uh, this week, but you know, just to draw some comparison, anytime two dozen neo-Nazis neo march through the streets, every Republican official throughout the country is called upon to forcefully condemn and disavow, and most all of them comply. And yet now for over three months, we have had violent anarchists literally terrorizing cities across this country. And only a few days ago, have prominent Democrats started to finally denounce these criminals, and rarely ever by name. You know, it, this is actually one of the things Tulsi Gabbard was first criticized for from within the Democratic Party back in 2015. She was extremely vocal about criticizing Barack Obama for his refusal to call out ISIS for what they were, radical Islamic terrorists. And she posed the question, how can we ever defeat an enemy that we are not willing to clearly identify? And unfortunately, that is the same thing that is happening right now with far too many Democrats who are giving cover for these domestic terrorists. 
But to answer your question, if you were asking me what I thought was the most uniquely outrageous moment in your montage, uh, that honor would have to go to my very own governor for accusing President Trump of the horrendous COVID-19 outbreak in New York. I do not recall President Trump signing the executive order that forced senior citizens infected with the disease back into their nursing homes where the virus spread like wildfire and killed thousands. That was Governor Cuomo. And by his own admission, the federal government supplied New York with everything it requested, including a Navy medical ship that largely went unused. So for Governor Cuomo to make such a irresponsible and dangerous accusation only serves to further stoke the division at a time when we are already at each other's throats and assuming the worst of one another. So the honors would have to go to Governor Cuomo. I think we're done. Here. I think we're done here. Um, I think we're good. Uh, we still have to do another hour and 51 minutes. Why aren't you hosting this show, Paul? Yes. That, that, in fact, I'm glad you're not because <laughs> I need a job. Todd, good luck following that. Go ahead. Do my best. Uh, I'm going with uh, Kamala Harris and her perfect encapsulation of how utterly deranged Orange Man Bad has become. Listen, when you're in this industry and you're on our side of the fence, you get called names on a regular basis and on social media. You're used to it. But no one gets more deranged at me than when it comes to vaccination and my stance. My kids are instantly brought in. You want them to die. You want everybody to die. And vaccination is very very much held up as a it was before covid a a a magic bullet and now from day one and this covid thing when will we get a vaccine how long will it take yet the power of orange man bad is such that even when it comes to vaccination they'll tap out because of what he can will uh, or what, whatever he will conjure in terms of some sort of, I mean, really, what, what do they think he is doing? What group of scientific henchmen does he think he has in the lab when he's the guy been led around the nose by Fauci for how many months now? A vaccine now will be untrustable because of Donald Trump. It is amazing how much he lives rent free in their heads. Aaron. Um, mine is actually something that didn't make the montage. It's a criminal omission by myself. If I'm not fired for this, then I will flog myself right after the show, right outside of the studio. Please do. Um, because this, this broke yesterday, and I guess in all of the hullabaloo surrounding the Chiefs' big win last night, I forgot to put it in the montage, but the public health director of Los Angeles... Oh, yes. ...in a recording saying that schools will probably still stay shut down until after the election. Why should you choose the election? That seems like a really arbitrary date. She said this multiple times in this recording, or at least a couple of times, I should say, in this recording. Well, because if you follow the longitudinal trajectory yeah. of the epidemiological Just, curve, it's well known that it will begin mm. to uh, plummet November the 4th. Yeah, yes. yeah. So that's that's why that was not in my montage, completely my fault. I will flog myself, but that's got to be saying the quiet part out loud, as you remarked last night, Steve, that's, that's, where, it is. That, that's where it's at. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being Lindsey Graham's T-level, uh, and 10 being Joe Biden's cognitive decline, rank this week's level 
of total depravity, Todd? Ten. Aaron? Uh, I'm going with a nine. Paul? 7.9 and stop taking shots at Lindsey Graham. (laughs) (laughs) Now, 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 fight. Fight. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Issue two, the polls versus the Pauls. Pulling roundup, the real clear politics polling average nationally still has Joe Biden with a 7.5 point lead over Donald Trump. A week ago, that lead was seven points. A month ago, that lead was a little over seven points. So seemingly very little has changed there. In the battleground states, RCP averages, Biden has a little over a one point lead in Florida, around four point lead in Pennsylvania, around four point lead in Michigan, six and a half point lead in Wisconsin, a one and a half lead in North Carolina, and almost a six point lead in Arizona. Biden's overall lead in the battleground average is almost four points. A week ago, it was a little over three points, and a month ago, it was a little over four points. But the messaging from the Biden campaign seems to be changing, at least a little. This week, Biden strongly condemned the suggestion that his campaign is in favor of defunding police across the country. Not only do I want to defund the police, I'm the one calling for $300 million more for local police, for community policing. I also think we should add uh, social workers and psychologists help police on 911 calls. The only person calling to defund the police is, is Donald Trump. He also walked back his pledge to enact a nationwide mask mandate. Otherwise, his messaging on other things like lockdown seems to be a little confused. He has just sort of waved the white flag on, on dealing with COVID. And he all he wants to do is just, just reopen. But the way he's reopening is causing us to, uh, you know, shut down. Look what's happening with schools right now. President Trump, meanwhile, has been making the rounds, holding events in Michigan and North Carolina. Clear why both China and the flag-burning rioters want Biden to win. They know his policies will be the downfall of America, and they know my policies will lift America to new heights of national greatness like we've never seen before. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And never forget They're coming after me because I'm fighting for you. There's a lot of truth in that one. Should also mention that uh, that Joe Biden did condemn Antifa this week as well. So uh, the polls still favor Joe Biden. But when you look at the behavior of the polls, the way that the the, the Democratic ticket has shifted its messaging on a few things, um, it seems to indicate that Trump's campaign are the ones that think that they have the momentum. So which do you trust more? Aaron, I'll start with you. For now, I think it's I think it's the Pauls. But unfortunately, this goes back, I think, to something we talked about in overtime. And, and we'll have to bring it up here because it's what we're talking about now. But this is uh, this is incredibly interesting to watch. And the less... I don't know, accurate or the less reliable, I guess you could say, polling is or becomes, the more we'll truly see what the campaigns actually believe because they can't tailor then their message for the unreliable polls because it's understood that they're unreliable. So right now, though, I still believe that probably the internal polling that campaigns have still at least are in the uh, are in the ballpark or at least within the diamond of what of what they're actually seeing or what's actually you know reality and so i think for right now i'm trusting that the, what the campaigns are doing over what the polls are are saying the public polls are saying so at this point seeing some of the message i wouldn't say they're necessarily uh, flip-flops but 
there's been fewer and fewer winks and nods at defunding police. Antifa, you mentioned as well, condemning that. Fewer and fewer winks and nods uh, at those things. And then the the, the thing about the, the mask mandate, that that should have been bigger news than it was. Uh, that That's a pretty sweeping proposal, if you can call it that. Because it made and big news when he made, offered a mask exactly. mandate. Exactly. Yeah. And then to just walk back from that saying it's, you know, citing of all, all things, the unconstitutionality. I think that's pretty big news. So I think something is changing within the Joe Biden campaign. And so for right now, uh, I'm going to trust what I see from there over the polls. Paul, let me go to you. You've worked on a campaign more recently than I have, obviously. And, And not just in this election, but I've always told our audience, the campaigns have the best data. There's some good public data out there, but the campaigns always have. The proprietary data is always better. So trust more in their behavior. They know where they're at better than the public polls do. And the public polls are often a lagging indicator of what the campaigns already know in real time. A, do you agree with that? And then B, give us your analysis then of the, of the behavior of these two campaigns where they think they stand right now with about 50, what, 51, 52 days to go. Yeah, so I do agree with your first point. And regarding the initial question, I think both things can be true at once. At this moment in time, I would still give a slight advantage to Joe Biden for November. But there has been a clear momentum shift in the favor of Donald Trump. And clearly the Biden campaign is being a bit more reactive than they had been in months past. Uh, You know, when you compare the messaging from the RNC convention to the DNC convention, Holistically, other than the president and his family, to be quite honest, I thought the messaging at the RNC convention was a lot more compelling than that of the DNC's. Uh, It was by far the most effective messaging they have ever tailored towards black Americans. And even with that, I'm not expecting President Trump to greatly overperform with black voters come November. But where I think pundits might be surprised come November is that he could very well overperform with Latino voters. I don't know if any of you guys saw the poll released this week from NBC News of all places, uh, but back in 2016, Latino voters in Florida went by 25 points to Hillary Clinton. A poll this week they released showed President Trump leading Joe Biden with Florida Latino voters 50 to 46. That is a near 30 point swing in four years. So that poll would certainly sound some very loud alarm bells if I were in the Biden campaign. Let me follow up with you on that. Florida obviously has a unique demographic of Latinos with the Cuban population. How much of that do you think is just a singular situation? Because there have been other polls, by the way, where he has performed well with Hispanics. But how much of that is the singular situation in Florida? Because all the talk of revolution and upheaval and everything else, um, obviously the Cuban population fled a country where they saw talk like that. And, And I could see where that could be an outlier compared to what he may get nationwide with Latinos overall. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I am certainly not expecting a 30-point swing nationwide, but it is still a 30-point swing, which is significant and can't be ignored. I, I do think, and I can't prove this, but I do think because of all the attention on Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matters, uh, that the Latino Democratic voter potentially feels a bit neglected during this election cycle. They aren't really messaging much for Latinos. So uh, it would not surprise me if there was a 
not seismic, but significant bump for uh, President Trump come this November from Latino voters. That's something I think a lot of our audience doesn't understand is the managing. We talk a lot on our show, obviously, about the managing of the coalitions on the right. Okay, but the managing of the coalitions on on your side of the street that prior to Obama, there was a there was a there was some serious discord between those black and brown coalitions that he really was the first to come along and try to unify them into one, um, you know, one unified voting block. And that obviously helped him win uh, uh, presidential elections back to back races. But I think that's something go into that a little bit. That's something probably a lot of our audience doesn't know about because we've just primarily remembered in the Obama era, the black brown vote was kind of considered monolithic because they were fairly unified behind him. Right. Well, even if you look at races in in Texas and it obviously will vary depending on which part of the country you're in. uh, But Latinos traditionally have a lot more, you know, conservative values than Democratic analysts and pollsters give them credit for. Uh, so I don't think it's that far of a leap for a, a Latino voter who feels ignored and disenfranchised by the Democrat messaging. And Biden has always had a very significant, and this includes the primaries, a very significant enthusiasm uh, deficit with Latino voters. They just have never truly gravitated towards him. And so if he can't figure out a way to start you know, more aggressively and effectively messaging towards that constituency, and they some go to Trump and some just don't show up in November, that can change the entire race. Todd, what are your thoughts? The polls or the polls? Oh, the, the polls for sure. Uh, listen, ever since Joe Biden got in uh, this race as the uh, chosen necromance uh, front runner. They did that because they wanted him to stay quiet and just be the name, just be this brand that's been around for a long time. They didn't have any other flag bearer that could carry things. They weren't ready to let Bernie Sanders do it. Uh, so winning to them, ultimately, it was a decision Get the guy that would say and do as little as possible. And so when that's not happening, you know they're losing. And that's been, it's been from the beginning. So this is not new. We know these polls are wrong because Joe Biden is talking a lot right now. I think that's actual science by this point. Uh, So there's no way it's seven points. There is absolutely no way. You want to respond to him, Paul? What, What Todd just said? Well, I think you've alluded to this as well. You know, I don't put much stock in in national polling. I think you really have to pay closer attention to the battleground states that will tip the election one way or another. And those have been contracting in recent weeks. And I think that's an accurate assessment of where the country and where the race is right now. So, you know, I would just more or less discard any national polling. It's not that it's invaluable in terms of taking a temperature check of where the country is, but it's not indicative of how the race will end up. One of the things we talked about on our show earlier this week, Paul, Aaron, you don't mind if I monopolize him for his expertise on this? Oh, yeah. Because you're bringing a vantage point from the other side of the street that, you know, I I try to be educated on what y'all think over there, but I'm not one of y'all. And so we've got a live one here. I want to get real-time analysis from our audience. I kind of feel some empathy for Paul. This is what it used to feel like for me on an MSNBC panel. Hey, we caught one in the wild. Let him talk. We want to see what one of these things actually says. All right. But one of the things that I think maybe we found in 2016 
is there's just certain constituency groups that are difficult for traditional polling mechanisms to reach because either they, they don't own a landline or B, you know, there's a lot of people on our side of the street, Paul, that and I don't think it's a hidden Trump vote. I don't I don't necessarily believe there's a lot of people that were ashamed to say they were going to vote for Donald Trump and then did. I think it's just a lot of people on our side of the street that when NBC News calls them and says, hey, I'm with NBC News, I'm here to do a poll, click fake news. I want to talk to you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, ABC News, Washington Post poll. We're here with the, uh, Hey, you guys uh, tried to get Kavanaugh. Click. I'm not talking to you. And because when, when I see things like the Marquette University poll, which is one of the best state university polls in the country, missed the Wisconsin election in 2016 by seven and a half points. Okay. It's not like they suck at this. They're not like they got dumb all of a sudden. Are there just certain constituency groups that are just difficult for traditional polling mechanisms to reach. And if you have a candidate that speaks to that kind of a group and and spends a good deal of time trying to mobilize it to his success, could there be an undercurrent of unknown sampled support there in public polling? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's certainly a valid theory. It's difficult to prove unless you just have a consistent wave of elections Mm -hmm. where was significantly off. Um, You know, there is a tremendous amount of manufactured animosity between base Trump supporters and the media. So I think distrusting certain pollsters whose names are synonymous with the national media uh, is is very likely. I think they they might not participate in in those polls, so they could be underrepresented. the, the same happened in a lot of states in the 2018 polling. Uh, as far as the uh, 538 analysis, after the election was over, uh, Republican turnout was significantly under underestimated in Ohio, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania. So it happened again. Uh, 2016 was not an isolated incident. This happened two years later. Uh, so, you know, I think there's I think it's something certainly worthy of consideration and uh, and, and further inspection. Aaron, I'll go back to you. You have any thoughts after we've gone back and forth here? Any additional thoughts you want to throw in? Well, it again, I would probably underscore what I said before, and I think Todd makes a good point as well. At this point, especially with this candidate, who you saw what their strategy was, and they actually were very disciplined, and it was, I'm not saying it's a, it's morally good or, or anything like that, it was a good strategy to just, during the pandemic, during the meat of the pandemic, just have Joe Biden not really coming out, not really doing anything at all, just allow the other side to be exposed as much as possible. That's a good, that's a good strategy. But now he's coming out and he's doing more and more events and uh, you saw, you know, he's going he's going to these battleground states as well. I mean, if he thought if he thought any of these were under wraps or under control, um, maybe maybe they've learned from what Hillary Clinton did four years ago and or not did in visiting Wisconsin. But if they were very confident in any of these places, he would not be going to Pennsylvania. He would not be going to Michigan like he has in the last couple of weeks. And so the fact that he's the, the very fact that he's out and about right now shows you that they are concerned and, or uh, best case scenario they're just looking to shore up they're just at, at at worst they're just looking to shore up what they do have in those states exit question if the odds the much panned by me rasmussen poll would again prove to be the most accurate in 2020 as it was in 2016 if the odds of that were a lover boy song which lover boy song would it be a loving every minute of it b 
working for the weekend. C, hot girls in love. D, turn me loose. Now, Todd, you're going to ask me, what do these songs mean for an answer? And they, they don't mean anything. I just realized I had committed a pop culture faux pas by never including Loverboy in one of these multiple choice questions. And then I just picked like my four favorite Loverboy songs. So they don't mean anything. You may... There's no, yeah, no I meaning wasn't behind them. Sure, what to do with hot yeah, girls just, in love? Just I'm just doing Loverboy is solid. So go ahead. What do you got? Well, since I don't know what to do with it, I'll take it because that's about as clear ahead thinking that we can have about the polls. <laughs> hot girls in love. All right, Paul, go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, I, I didn't fully understand the question, but I, I think the bigger story is that someone who worked for the Ted Cruz campaign wanted to choose a Canadian rock band for this question. Oh, oh! Oh, walk off, home run. Aaron, you won't mind if I don't even let no, you answer that. No. I, I think Paul deserves a mic drop for Indeed. that. That is exceedingly well played. Democrat of the week, helmet sticker. Yes, I walked, and I walked right into that too, man. I set myself up, and he knocked it down. That was very well played. I have to let that stand, okay? I have to let it stand. Dude Code says, man, when somebody gets the drop on you, you got to recognize. So I'm going to, all right? We'll come back. It's 19 years today since 9-11. We'll look back and then look ahead next. You know, trying to sell your home in any environment can be challenging, but especially in these, take a drink, unprecedented times. So if you're going into the real estate market, make sure you go in with an agent that is all in for you, an agent that you can trust, an agent whose track record of success and integrity has been fully vetted. Now, where would you find such an agent? The name kind of says it all. Go to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a company that was started by Glenn Beck and some of his associates because they got tired of dealing with real estate agents they couldn't trust. And figured, you know, somebody needs to do something about this. So they did. All of the agents all over the country that are listed there have been fully vetted and volunteered to be vetted because they're confident in their track record. And then that track record is certified before they're certified for you. So again, it's about somebody who's going to work with you, not an agent that you think you're working for them. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get to issue three here as we roll on with the Dace Group 19 years ago today. No bull. Michael Jordan hints he'll return to the court, this time as a Washington Wizards. Extensive coverage in this hour. There is something in the air. 801, let's get to the top news stories of the morning. For that, we turn to Ann Curry. Because now we have a camera. Katie Mattinell, thank you so much this morning. Good morning, everybody, again. For the second time in two weeks, the U.S. has lost an unmanned spy plane over Iraq. For additional tax cuts... He sure has. In fact, if you can believe it this morning, he's already been asked about it before dawn this morning. He was out jogging. Reporters said, how about more tax cuts? He said, I'm not going to talk about it now, but he did hit. He might talk about it later today. Now here's Tom Brokaw with a look at what's coming up tonight on NBC Nightly News. Thanks, Ann. Tonight, three numbers that could save your life. 911, 190 million calls each year, but you won't believe the problems we find. <laughs>
it's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Bryant Gumbel. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. We don't know if it was a private aircraft. We have no idea how many were on board or what is what the extent of the injuries are right now. We are. Uh, we have, I understand, an eyewitness on the phone right now. Sir, sir, good morning. This is Bryant Gumbel. Could you tell? Could you give us your name? Hold on just a moment. We've got an explosion right, so inside. Tell us what you saw. The building's exploding right now. you got people running up the street. Okay. I don't know what's going on. Okay. Just uh, put, put Winston on pause there for just a moment. Okay, while the he... whole building just exploded some more. The whole top part. Okay. The building's still intact. People are running up the street. Uh, am the... I still connected? Winston, this would support probably what Libby and you both said, that perhaps the fuselage was in the building that would cause a second explosion such as that. Well, that's what just happened then. That would, that certainly... Yeah, people are running up. Um, I, we're getting word that perhaps... Okay, hold on. The, the people here are, everybody's panicking. All right, well, Winston, you know, Winston, let me put Winston on hold for just a moment. Okay, I don't know how much longer I'll be staying. I'm inside of a diner right now. Well, Winston, you know what? If you could give us a call back, I just don't want to panic here on the air. Let's just uh, take some of our pictures from News Chopper 7. Now, one of our producers said perhaps a second plane was involved, and let's not, let's not even speculate to that point, but at least put it out there that perhaps that may have happened. Uh, the second explosion would certainly back the theory from a couple of eyewitnesses that the plane was in those upper buildings. We're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington, and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It would appear that there has been another major explosion, this one in the nation's capital. You are looking at a scene of uh, apparent blast aftermath. There is smoke in the air over the Pentagon. We don't know whether this is the result of a bomb or whether it is yet another aircraft that has targeted a um, symbol of the United States power, but there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Um, this is coming at 9.43 Eastern Time. The president right now is on his way back from Florida. He had gone there for an educational event. In a brief remarks, he said this was an apparent terrorist attack on our country. We do have a couple of reports, one from AP, one from Reuters, reporting that an American Airlines plane was hijacked, that a United Airlines plane was hijacked, supposedly one of those two planes hijacked out of Boston. This At is this as close point, as we can Pentagon, get to the base the of the World House. Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. When I took the call over, there was a soft-spoken, calm gentleman on the other end. He told me that there's three people that have taken over the flight. At that point, I asked him his name. He told me, Todd Beamer. 
He was from Cranberry, New Jersey. When he wanted to pray, was your sense then that, that he knew that? Yes, I did. I felt that he knew at that time because he had said, oh, Jesus, help us. And then he said, Lisa, would you recite the Lord's Prayer with me? They're all heroes in my eyes. They really are. They all pitched together, and they did what they thought was the best thing to do at that time. And um, I feel that Todd played a great role in that because when he told the guys, are you ready, I assumed that they were waiting on his cue. Then they responded to him, and he said, okay, let's roll. We get down probably another half a floor, and the building collapses on us. What it's, was that like? I mean, did, did you know what was happening at the time? You know, the building was falling, and I more or less thought, you know, that I was dead. You know, it was just a matter of seconds now. Did it get very dark all around you? I'll be honest, I closed my eyes. You know, I closed my eyes, basically, and just you know, hope my family thought well of me and that, uh, that, that it, was, it was all over. I want you all to know that America today, America today, is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! So first question, Paul, as you mentioned earlier, it's your home state. We vowed to never forget, have we? Well, first off, uh, Aaron, that was a remarkably well put together video. As, uh, as someone who works in production, just wanted to give you that compliment, just Thank letting you. it play all without music. Uh, it was very, very powerful. Um, as you alluded to, Steve, uh, I am a lifetime resident of uh, New York City. I was here on that day. I was actually still in high school at the time. And uh, while my high school was in Brooklyn, we were right on the water and we had a direct and clear view of the downtown Manhattan skyline. So we could see the smoke coming out of the towers just looking out the window. And it was one of those days where the world just sort of seemed to stand still. And in the coming days and months, Everyone in New York, you know, rightfully celebrated our police and firefighters and first responders as the heroes they were. And that George W. moment at Ground Zero still gives me goosebumps to, these day, to this day. Um, and, and later that month, George W. Bush had a 90 percent national approval rating. And it's not because Democrats suddenly changed their views. It was because for that moment in time, we all recognized that we were Americans first and that this country was inherently good and still is inherently good and worth defending. So when it comes to modern day America, uh, I think we have lost sight of that. 
we have lost sight of the fact that there are certain values we all possess that transcend party politics. And it's not something I, I hoped I would ever see, but uh, that is the reality we're facing right now. Todd, do you think we would have stayed unified for as long as we did in its aftermath, as Paul just talked about, if we had social media back in 2001? Oh, well, I'm not sure how long we did stay unified, but no, there's no way that's possible. But I, I, I actually think we may have stayed... Uh, I, I think where we are now in this culture, this where I talk, Isaiah 1, you know, where would you yet be struck? I actually think maybe we would have gotten there a little bit later in the game. I think the choices we made after 9-11 hastened uh, made, made this uh, speed up because a lot that moment where ninety percent and we're Americans, I think no, we didn't know what to think for a very short period of time. But then I think a lot of people honestly decided, I really, I'm kind of disgusted by my country. I saw it happen anecdotally over and over and over again, and it happened very quickly, where people kept siding with terrorists and their grievances and jobs programs and things like that. I, I actually think maybe we sped up our demise because this happened and had 9-11 not happened uh it would have been more the slouching towards gomorrah this really crystallized in a lot of people i in the newsroom i worked in you know what i i i think i may have not uh, flown a plane into the building but i you know they got a point it happened all over the place uh, it's disgusting. We we should be we should be a Pax Romana after that. It, galvanized like no, my country here. Let's uh, let's fix what was broken. But th this is no better place to live in in the history of mankind. But it isn't. Aaron, as far as the social media question, undeniably, undeniably, we would not have stayed unified. I don't. I mean, I was eight when this happened, so I don't remember. I, you know, it was kind of hard for me to, to kind of take the temperature of the, the, the of the national psyche at that point. I was pretty well informed for an eight year old, but it, as far as forgetting goes, um, undeniably as well, learned all of the wrong, all of the wrong lessons. There are still because of the values that founded this country. There are still shining examples, even to this day, despite all of our problems, of what the idea of America can look like. There are still examples of that. But as far as the country corporately goes, I don't see, I mean, from our response to that, at first it seemed rational. The longer it went on, the mission creep that went on. And then you look at the social upheaval within our, within, our, um, within our country, less than a decade later, the advent of social media. Um, those things were just pouring flames on, on a divide, on a fire that was already, I think, burning in America to begin with. And so do we remember, of course, uh, or do we forget... Uh, maybe not, but we we certainly do not learn the lessons. You can you can remember the time you can remember the time that you got spanked for crossing the road too early or crossing the road without looking both ways, as I have. But if you keep crossing the road without looking both ways, eventually you're probably going to get run over. 
You can, you can, you can have the lesson taught to you. It's up to you whether or not you want to learn any lessons. Exit question, true or false. Today, our country's future is more imperiled by internal division than any external foe. Just a true or false, Todd. True. Paul. True. Aaron. True. Let's get to predictions quickly. Todd, go. In a year plus from now, both Iowa and Iowa State's football coaches and Iowa State's athletic director will no longer be working for those universities. Hmm. Under, given the various circumstances at play, I, I could see that. It's a feast or famine thing. Yeah, I don't have an inside around. word, but just if you're doing, being a weather vein, I, I could yeah. I could see that. Aaron? Uh, there will be some form of non-conference play in, in almost its entirety. There will be a few uh, games canceled for the college basketball season. Paul? Paul? Joe Biden will win the public relations battle regarding Supreme Court nominees by releasing a list with simply one name on it, Merrick Garland. That's an interesting play. Yes, it is. Yeah, that is an interesting play. Um, my prediction is uh, with the NFL 101st season now kicking off this weekend, I'm going to go on the record with my pick for Super Bowl 55. I've got the Cowboys versus the Ravens. So Dallas versus Baltimore. In Super Bowl 55, that's my pick. Hey, Paul, it has been uh, a pleasure having you with us. We definitely need to do this again, certainly before the election, okay? Definitely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And and dude, you got to get it pretty early in the morning to get the drop on me the way that you did. I was very impressed with that. And I'll never hear the end of it from Todd and Aaron. So thank you for that as well. (laughs) Mission accomplished. All right. God bless, man. Take care. Thank you. I got to tell you guys, I can't. I can't think of a single positive lesson we've learned, we should have learned from 9-11 that has like taken root in our culture and is sustaining itself. I, I cannot think of one. I agree. I mean, we're, look at the mask. Hey, now we're just going to wear face burkas, basically, uh, based on a fake statist <laughs> control religion. I well, mean, we, that's like the site, the circle is now complete. We're that, even wearing mandatory face coverings. That now. was the canary in the coal mine. That was the canary in the coal mine um, of where the collective worldview of America was. When you believe that human nature is basically good, then you start saying, well, they're terrorists, but anything goes after that. Hmm. We'll come back and it'll be time for some feedback Friday here next. Stay tuned. Hour number two on the way. And greetings. We're back with hour two live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor Steve Dace. Check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And if you were one of our podcast subscribers, we love you too. Thank you very much for carving out some time to listen to us on demand. Just remember, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. Leave us a five-star review if you haven't done so already. Heck, if you have, leave some more. We'll take them uh, because the more of those we get, the more they help the show to grow. Thousands of you have done those two things for us already. Thank you very much. Uh, We appreciate each and every one of you. Let's get to our final hour tradition of Feedback Friday, where we look at some of the feedback that you have given us uh, and respond. Brought to you by Brickhouse Nutrition. Hey, we're kind of getting back to normal, sort of. 
but we still need to make sure we wash our hands, uh, make sure we're taking advantage of preventative health, doing things like that vitamin D and vitamin C that they mocked you for uh, talking about in March when I told you to start taking it. Now they're telling you you need it, okay? That's also where Field of Greens comes in by Brickhouse Nutrition. They can help you. Uh, with some preventative health every day because one scoop has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables, which will boost energy, support a healthy immune system. Plus, we already know that a diet rich in fruits and vegetables can reduce your risk for things like heart disease, hypertension, and a whole host of other health issues. Not to mention Field of Greens is also prebiotic and probiotic. You know, we have a lot of those digestive issues today because yeah, we're missing those pre and probiotics. Field of Greens will put those back in there for you. And it's a great source for vitamins, fiber, other nutrients. Just one scoop in any water-based drink. Shake it up and you are done. And right now you can save 15% off your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Get 15% off. And if you decide to have this uh, come to your house every month, you want to subscribe to the service, they'll take an extra 10% off every month too. All right? So, hey, BrickHouseSteve.com is where you go to get both of those discounts and use the promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. All right, let's get to it. This one is from Scott. Quote, let's face it. If a process was created by which you could be incentivized to take no chances, but just exist as mouth breeders at a subsistence level, you'd take it, end quote. Steve, that's from chapter three of your book, A Nefarious Plot. Sounds like the COVID lockdowns Are to me. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. I've read the book in a while, but yeah, that, that's apparently in... In chapter three. Did when yeah. you started reading that email, did you say, Hey, that's pretty good? And then you Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh wow. I'm kind of scared to go back and read it. <laughs> you know? Um I mean I I, I guess I kinda have to when you're developing a film, you know? But uh there's probably too many things in there that are going to hit close to home after what we've mm-hmm. been through this year, I would imagine. Um, this is from this is from Dawn, who says, I emailed recently and wanted to provide you an update and get your thoughts on something that's been uh, that's been placed on my heart. Um, the school district I worked for announced its plan to start the fall with remote learning. As you can imagine, the backlash has been swift and furious. The leadership seems genuinely confused by the anger and frustration aimed at the school district via social media, emails, and public comment. As I mentioned in my previous note, you remember we had an email from a woman that we just said her name was Dawn about what was going on in her school district in her state. Okay, she's following up. As I mentioned to you before, I worked with some of the best people in education around here. And I see the strain and emotional toll the decision-making process has taken on them because they take the safety of the students and the staff seriously. They are, and this is a key phrase right here, according to the information they actively seek out. Remember that phrase, okay? They are, according to the information they actively seek out, making the decision they feel is best for students and staff. Most information and opinions that contradict their beliefs have been widely ignored or dismissed. It's been disheartening to see the volume of evidence parents in our community have presented 
to support in-person learning in the fall. Most are well-reasoned and provide proof from sources like the CDC, medical experts, and even the data from our own state government. The educators who encourage critical thinking in the classroom seem to have fallen startlingly short in their own jobs. I pray about this nightly. I'm not a decision maker. I am in some of the reopening meetings as an observer. I am trying to understand God's intent for me because I'm certain that I'm not here by accident. There's one story in the Old Testament that has been on my heart. First Samuel 8 tells the story of a prophet warning the people against wanting to be ruled by a king instead of God. Yes, this is where Saul comes about. At one point, the, the people say to him, hey, give us a, a, a king to judge us like all the other nations have. I truly believe this is where we are as a country. Our freedom is a gift from God, but so many people throw it away because they want a secular king to guide and direct us instead, to keep us safe and comfortable. Even after Samuel lists all the things that a king will do, the people's response is, even so, we still want the king. The rulings and directives of experts, politicians, and policymakers have replaced a genuine seeking of God's intent, God's purpose in our lives, and the moral obligations of our freedom. The blind acceptance of policy, no matter how wrong, proves that we have gotten the king we asked for, certainly the one we deserve. Nothing illustrates this more than making church illegal when the right to kill your own child is considered essential. And that's why there's such a fight over masks. I had, lunch, I had uh, a meeting yesterday with someone who's in a decision-making role here in our community. And um, he is getting pressure. They have not instituted mandatory mask use within the um, uh, w within the arena that he oversees yet. And the reason they haven't is just because there's no science that indicates that it works. And it's a major inconvenience. And um, it, this is also a relationship-driven endeavor. And so if there's no science that this works, then this you know makes everybody that's involved in this really impersonal you know, just walk around with your face covered all the time you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so they kind of think that it's athwart their mission unless doesn't mean they would they're like a no it's just it, you better show me it's like a real emergency otherwise this kind of gets in the way of what we're trying to to do right and he had mentioned there were a couple of people within his operation <clears throat> that were people of influence within the operation that are now trying to put their thumb on the scale and pressure him into forcing everyone to wear masks. And, and he is someone that uh, listens to our show and has done his own research. And so he just kept asking them. I mean, one of the, one of the people doing this works in the healthcare field. And he, he was just asking them, what, what is your evidence that this works? Well, what do you mean? All the evidence says. Well, he's like, well, if all the evidence says it, then show me the evidence that works. If all the evidence does, it shouldn't be difficult to find me the evidence then, right? But, it, but I want to go back to this phrase that Dawn put in her note, okay? They are, according to the information, they actively seek out. 
that's the red pill right there. You know, the devil is in the details. He's howling. He's roaring right there. The information that you actively seek out. What's gotten me in trouble throughout my career? And, and with some of you that love me right now, I'm not doing anything different than what I did when you didn't love me before. See, I, I'm, I'm willing to follow the truth wherever it leaves. I just want to know what is real. John McCain, the politician, was a fraud. A fraud. That's why I didn't vote for him. And he didn't suddenly become a non-fraud because he ended up with the most delegates in the Republican presidential primary race. But man, oh man, did I have GOP donors and all kinds of people come forward try to get me fired over that. And then imagine when your radio station you work for is bought by Mitt Romney's company, Bain Capital. That was cool. Fraud. And it's funny now, a whole bunch of you that hated me for saying this back in 2012 are now loudly proclaiming the fact that Romney politically is a fraud. It's not any different now. It's just that once he became the Republican nominee, you know, we used to call it, used to joke on this show before you guys got here, we used to have this joke and it was bestowed upon him the magic R and it was credited, it was, it was credited to him righteousness, okay? That suddenly something happens when somebody becomes the Republican nominee for office. They are suddenly elevated to a higher astral plane and we just cease looking at them objectively. And I never had a problem. If you wanted to vote it for John McCain and Mitt Romney, I understood that, you know, you don't want Barack Obama to be president. Cool. I just didn't think they were any different than him. And they weren't. Um, I just didn't understand why the need to lie to yourself about what you're doing then. I mean, if we're just going to vote for these guys because we want to stop what we think is the, is the greater problem, okay. We have to make calculations like that in this world, east of Eden, all the time. Do we not? Yeah. But then why are we suddenly acting as if that's not what we're doing? Why are we acting as if the calculation is not a calculation, a canonization? It's a beatification. See, I'm, I don't, I'm not driven by the information I actively seek out. I actively seek out real information. See the difference? What's the, what's the difference? Well, one is where you are, have a narrative or you have an assumed strain of information that you won't go outside of. And it's an, that's idolatry, basically, is what it is. That's not to say that you don't have like any common sense about trusting nut job or discredited information sources and not wanting to go out on a limb for them. That's not what we're talking about. But look at the virus. Carnegie Mellon, are they, are, they, are, they, are, they, are they elite enough for you? How about Stanford? Maybe Oxford, number one rated university in the world. They weren't, that, that's not good enough for you? You work in the healthcare field and Oxford's not good enough for you? Dude, you want me to trust the experts? Are you trusting them? I mean, that's the key. The information we actively seek out.
see what you're into, Don, and, and you can't fix it, and you won't be able to fix it. You're up against idolatry. And when you're up against this level of idolatry, there's only two things that work. Storm the Bastille, or, or you just hope the Holy Spirit shows up. And when the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, that's when human beings end up storming the Bastille. That's, when, that's the only way out. I've, I've made this analogy before. We're almost to Halloween season. It's the classic Donald Pleasance rant about Michael Myers in the first Halloween. Cannot be killed. Cannot be contained. Cannot be controlled. Okay? Just with a much cooler voice than the one I have. <laughs> All right? That's what idolatry does to people. You, you won't reason with this. I mean, you, took, you showed them their, the CDC and the state government data from your own state, and they didn't budge. How about we quote from the New Testament? What do you think Jesus means when he says, kick the dust off your sandals and move on to the next town? It'll be better for Tyre and Sidon. Where were Tyre and Sidon? If I remember right, weren't they the cities of, of the Philistines? Correct? Yeah. Isn't that where Jezebel came from? Tyre and Sidon, wasn't she a, wasn't she a Philistine? And she's like the symbol of feminine evil in Jewish history. In the Old Testament. And Jesus says, man, it'll be better for those people on the day of judgment than the ones who heard this gospel and didn't want to respond. Think about that. Now, nobody loves the world more than Christ does. He died for it. And even he has a point where he says, moving on, had your shot. That's where you're at. So you either remove all these people or... I don't see another way out. I don't. This is why I'm hammering you guys in the audience all the time for months. Do not comply with this stuff. Now, I understand we can't fight everything and don't be ridiculous. I keep a stupid disposable cloth mask as, as a, as, as a, as a, uh, instead of fuzzy dice. On my rear view mirror in my car, it is so contaminated, it has literally been the same mask for weeks. Okay? I, I, I understand why some owners of major corporations are afraid of getting sued in today's society. I'm not so sure that if I owned a major franchised business, I, I wouldn't have everybody in a mask just to avoid getting sued. I, I get that. Right? So I'm not going to argue every single thing. But we have to be willing to argue something, something, something. You know, in this conversation I had with this uh, gentleman yesterday, he said, yeah, well, now these people are believers and they're trying to lean on me about, well, even if you don't think the masks work, don't we want to at least show we care? <laughs> and I said, what if, I, what if I'm asthmatic and I can't wear the mask? I, I you know, went down to Texas the minute we could fly out of here to show that it was safe. Remember that back in May? Yeah. Had to wear a mask. I put a cloth mask on. I nearly hyperventilated on the plane. I couldn't do it. First asthma attack I'd had in probably 10 years more since I started working out. So, I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, I told him the story about like, what, what country was it where they took the family off the plane because the 19-year-old baby couldn't handle the mask? 
and if, and so the baby has to wear a mask. And they took him off the plane. You guys see yeah, that yeah. story? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, and I said to him, how come, how come it's, you know, why doesn't the grace and mercy work the other way? That's exactly right. How does it work the other way? How, how about the person who did who did the research on the masks? No, they don't work. Knows that it's a scam and it's a, it's a it's a, it's a form of pagan idolatry and says I'm not going to participate in that. You know, Paul says the one who doesn't want to eat the meat sacrificed to idols, who believes that it really is for Pazuzu and Dormammu, be nice and kind to them. And the one who knows there's no such thing as these idols, they're all dead and there's only one living God and just says, I'm hungry, I'm eating the meat. Be nice and kind to them, right? Mm-hmm. That the mercy and grace goes both sides of, yeah. the, of these conscientious arguments, correct? Right. How come I said to him, it's only, it's only showing grace and mercy when we give in. And then he finished my sentence, he said, you're right. Never shows grace and mercy no. when we push back. That's his yeah. point about the which information they seek out. Yeah, honestly, you could bring them a ream at this point of all the European studies that show masks aren't uh, uh, are useless, and then Daniel Horowitz's work put it on top. They just wouldn't read it. They will not extend that grace to you. And having been in so many school district meetings through the years covering them, uh, school board meetings, see, this is where the idol it's not just idolatry. This is where it's the worst because they're educators and therefore the children and they know what a real education is. And if they admit at this point that they've been wrong all along about all of this panic, everything is a house of cards. Yeah. It's all gone. They can't do it. That's why the idol is the largest here. There's it's not it, it's not a coincidence that one of the most political uh organizations in all of America is the teachers union. Can I add something else as well? There was a phrase yeah. in that letter that you read about 15 minutes ago that stuck out to me as well. They're confused about the outcry they're getting on social yeah. media and yeah. the internet. Yeah. What does idolatry do to you? And this is a, a I'm making this the, the worst possible comparison for a reason. All right. This, this is, it, it's a good comparison, but it's, it's an extreme comparison. Why do you think, why, why do you think that the Israelites went and sacrificed their babies? Why do they, why do you think idolatry gives and, and produces psychoses. It really does. So I'm only going to seek out the information that I want. I'm presented with alternate conflicting information. And then I'm going to be confused about why people are angry with me. That's a form of psychosis right there. That's a form of psychosis. And idolatry always, always begets psychosis in some form. Yes. Absolutely. And... It also shows how detached they are from their own constituents. That they're shocked to find out that, and and maybe that's frankly, they've been conditioned to think that. I mean, after all, a lot of the parents who are now fed up with their kids being at home and want to send them back to school, and so they're suddenly doing a bunch of research on whether it's safe or not. 
how much research they do into the curriculum their kids are getting hmm. taught in those schools all those years. You know what I'm saying? Outcry yeah. when the 1619 encyclical yeah. came down a couple of and years so ago. And so maybe it kind of can't blame the pagans in charge of the school system for being shocked to find out that families might actually do some of their own legwork and have an independent opinion instead of just being spoon-fed with the educrats are spoon-feeding their children because you, we kind of set a precedent for about the last 40 years that we really won't, we really won't pay attention to the psychobabble and pagan evangelism that goes on in these classrooms and you know we'll we're just uh, we'll just offer our children up and pick them up when the the day is over and and, and, and maybe look at a report card and see if they made the honor roll but on a daily basis we have no idea what they're reading what they're studying right yep so maybe they've been kind of conditioned to think that there wouldn't be blowback to their decisions they would just be it's it's an absolute that they would be trusted where where the children are concerned because it has been an absolute that they would be entrusted with well, the children. They've been given that idol, even when it was at its most innocent. The ro- yeah, <clears throat> I'm a te- that notion of being a teacher and what we wrap around. You, cool, if you're a good teacher and my kid, I absolutely value you. You're not, you're not anointed with anything. You're not more special than a garbage man or anything else. That they've been drunk on that, Steve, for a very, very long time, and now, well, that seed has grown into an absolute monstrosity. Jim Pine writes, I've recently been following Jason Whitlock. Did you guys see what he tweeted about Skip Bayless's comments about uh, no. dogging on Dak Prescott no, for admitting he had some one. depression issues? Did you see his column today? Uh, Whitlock's? Yeah. No, I just saw that he tweeted back okay. at uh, Bayless, basically. Um, dude, I think you've got some con- some contract depression. Contact or call one 1-888, and he mentioned CME, WAE, which are abbreviations for uh, talent agencies, okay? Um, but it was it was pretty savage, oh. what he, what he, the anvil that he dropped on, uh, on Skip Bayless. Anyway, Jim Pine says, I've recently been following Jason Whitlock since he's over at OutKick even more than ever before. I've noticed him saying we should, we should confront athlete, athletes and ask them tough questions on what BLM really supports and similar questions on the Breonna Taylor case, etc. He's been saying not to boycott, but to be there for people who are in the cult. I find this an intriguing take. I see his point, but I have thought, but I, but I also have thought if that will even work for uh, for one in the media would never ask them a tough question on something like that. And just tweeting at these athletes, at least the top players will most likely not get a response. Do you believe it's worth trying to engage with athletes or are they too far gone? And are we better suited using our energy elsewhere? I absolutely believe it's it, that this is an arena. We should not just surrender and we should push back with maximum prejudice. Absolutely. I agree with Whitlock on this. Now, that's separate from the question that you and I got into the other day where I misunderstood the position you were taking. That's separate from, I don't want to watch this. It's annoying me. I get this all day long. That's why I don't do, I don't go home and watch cable news. I get this all day long. So I get it. I mean, I kept turning, I kept t- turning back and forth last night between the, um, uh, the college game on the ACC network and the NFL game, waiting for whatever the, the political convention they were doing beforehand to be over with, only to find out from Aaron when I got in here, actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be <laughs> the way that it was presented. So, but I don't, I, I just kept, okay, just when is it kickoff? I, I don't want to watch that stuff either. That's a separate question from, should we just hand this arena over to them? And I, I, I I think absolutely the answer is no. I, I think you're dealing, first of all, sports media is terrible at this. 
I've, you've heard me say for years, all the bias, twice the dumb. They're not nearly as good at this as like the New York Times and the Washington Post. And see how easy it is for us to deconstruct their arguments, and they're the pros. How hard do you think it is to deconstruct Jamel Hill? Not very. So, no, I, I would not just surrender this whatsoever. Whatsoever. Especially because I come from sports media. Spent a lot of time covering sports, in locker rooms, around players. And I primarily covered prep and then college sports. So not a lot of professional sports. But then I, but I covered the guys who would go on to play in the pros when they were in college. I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot more people, even right now, that think somewhat the way we do. There's a lot more Kurt Schillings and Aubrey Huffs than you think there is. I promise you this is the case. They're just... I got it. They're just Drew Brees. I'm splitting my team in half. I don't want to do that. So tell me what I got to do because my idol is the team. You know, I, I'm the quarterback for the Saints, and I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for why we don't go to the Super Bowl again and go seven and nine instead. And if this is going to split my team in half, it's what the Houston Texans did last night. Here's here, the reason they didn't come out for the anthem, guys, is because there's plenty of guys on that team that had that had that were never going to kneel for the anthem. And they couldn't come of one mind. They couldn't come to an agreement. So they just decided to hang out and hide out in the, in, the, in the locker room and wait for the anthem to get done. You should take that as a positive sign. There's a lot more people in this arena that think your, your way than you think do. This, this, I mean, you don't get here on a subsidy, folks. You don't get into pro sports because somebody handed something to you. There aren't any victims here. Hey, Michael Vick, uh, murderer of dogs. Can we win football games with you 10 minutes after you get out of the out of the out of the poke? Yep. Sign him. I mean that it's the NFL, man, which stands for not for long. You can do all the anthem kneeling and, and virtue signaling you want. Okay? If we're five and eleven, y'all fired at the end of the year. Cool. That's great. And so you don't get to where these guys are without inherently embracing rugged individualism on some level. You cannot. You cannot whine your way. Kaepernick has come close and they've given him tryouts that he then doesn't show up for. Why? Because he's old. He's been out of the game for a few years. His skills have eroded and he would make a team regardless of what his EA Sports Madden rating is. Okay? You can't whine your way to where these guys are. You cannot do it. So instinctively, it goes against their personas to just give themselves over to this level of victimology to begin with. They didn't get to where they're at by just assuming there was systemic racism and they couldn't get ahead of them. They couldn't get ahead. At some point they had to say, screw that noise and take the matter and their fate into their own hands to get where they're at and then to stay there. That would seem to be a, a, a target rich environment for a lot of the values and beliefs you have. And I promise you there's a lot more people wearing those uniforms that think your way than you think. Is there safety in numbers? That's the issue. I wouldn't abandon those arenas at all. Now that to me is a separate question than if have they annoyed you into not watching. If they have, I don't blame you at all. And that's their own fault. Okay? But that's, that's a separate question than just handing the platform over to the pagans. I, I would not do that at all. 
I think a lot of reasons people even ask the question is our our need, our expectation, clickbait. We want the immediate ROI. Yeah. We're dealing with existential things. When we're dealing with idols, you can't expect immediate ROI. If you're going to let the lion out of the cage, you got to trust that the lion is going to do the work in his own way and time. And your job is to simply be the hands and feet, obey. So yeah, absolutely take it on. But also understand you're going to be called names while doing it. And that's the part that really drives you nuts. That's why you're asking, are you going to think I'm icky? Are you in or not? That's it. We'll come back. More feedback Friday. We are good. Another country is going to be heard from, literally, when we return. And I think you're going to like this note. Stay tuned. You love to take care of your pet, right? Well, one of the things your pet needs the most, nutrients like vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, probiotics, omega oils, the list goes on. And I can tell you, they're probably not getting it from that dog food of theirs, particularly the dry stuff. It's as dead as a doornail. Once it leaves the factory, it is sterilized for long shelf life, mass consumption. Same thing happens to a lot of the food we eat nowadays. It's sterilized as well. That's where we're taking so many supplements. Our dog could maybe use a supplement as well. And that's where Rough Greens comes in. It isn't a dog food. It's a supplement that puts the good stuff back onto your dog's food with the powder that you sprinkle on there. And it's jam-packed with all the healthy stuff plus it tastes great for your pet as well uh, you can give your dog the rough greens 14 day jumpstart bag today for just $14.95 and see if you don't see the difference in your dog in 14 days or less just go to roughgreens.com slash blaze that's r-u-f-f for roughgreens.com slash blaze again that's roughgreens.com slash blaze all right let's continue here on a feedback friday uh, this is from Johan, who is a Swedish emigrant. Okay. I'm really tired of the cis female matriarchy that is the majority of shoe stores. And I demand a mandated equal 50 50 split in inventory between women's and men's shoes. Naturally, any shoe must also be carried in store in sizes from a traditional woman's size 7 to a traditional man's size 15. It could be noted that I hate shopping for shoes, but I'm not doing this for me, but rather on behalf of everyone who is scared and doesn't have a voice. There should furthermore be a constitutional amendment stating that any professional sports team defined as a sports franchise with salaried persons must be made up of persons according to the makeup of the city in which said franchise is located based on race, age, and gender identity. But maybe we could have some leeway with that last one. Team names should also perfectly unobjectionably be subject to an online vote every two years with a two-term limit to keep up with the times, you know. For the benefit of the fans. It's from Sweden? Yes. That country, man. I'm So do they have NFL Sunday ticket yeah, over there? I know exactly. I'm swooning. I'm swooning. How did Greta Thunberg come from there? What what'd you just have um, to You know I did it, I'm do? sorry. I you know what, man, I got hung by a new rope. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I'm I, and I complained. I know. I, I should I you know what? They're trying. Uh, Sweden's about the only thing we got going in 2020 right now. Okay. Who would have thought that, man? If you would have, I, I, I think I've talked about this before. I did a debate with a in Wichita with a 
Occupy Wall Streeter several years ago, you know, when that was the when that was Black Lives Matter, basically. That's mm-hmm. what it was called then. Okay. And uh and he just kept going back to Sweden over and over and over again. I'm like, if you love Sweden so much, dude, why don't you move there? If there's already a country that is doing the things you want, instead of wasting your time, you know, swimming uphill here, just move where they're already living the way you want. About a month ago, I went online, did a bunch of research on relocating to Sweden. That's that's where we're at now. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's where we're at now. Jared Beck writes, a journalist finally asked my governor, Mike DeWine in Ohio, what the end goal metric was in order to lift the restrictions. So back to this conversation I had, I mentioned earlier with somebody I met with yesterday. And I said, hey, you should ask the healthcare professional that's leaning on you about the masks. When will we know we don't need to wear them anymore? So if we institute this and we make everybody wear masks here, when, when, when do we tell them we can, they can put them away? Because right now, the number actually now, as of yesterday, 1.6% of all ER visits in America are for COVID-like symptoms. Now, our CDC has begun retroactively tracking this to November of 2019, okay? So November of 2019 is when CDC began retroactively tracking this. Do you guys know when the last time we were down to 1.6% of ER visits were for COVID-like symptoms? Can you guess when? The last time, well, it's back in... November of 2019. November of 2019 was the last time we had this few visits to the emergency room for CVI, COVID-like illness, or CVS, COVID-like symptoms, depending on which abbreviation you prefer. And so I said to this gentleman I had I met with yesterday, you should take that information to your medical professional friend and say, it is, is, maybe that's not good enough. Maybe it needs to be lower. Then tell me what it is. Is, is the number 1.2? Is the number 0.8? It, clearly it can't be 0.0. I mean, that's not attainable, okay? Even with a vaccine, that's not attainable. I mean, we had to give the smallpox vaccine for decades before the UN, I'm sorry, the WHO finally said, we don't have to do the smallpox thing, we beat it, okay? And that's like the only virus we've ever actually beaten to that extent. So the number clearly isn't 0.0%, so then what is the number? And if it's not 1.6, which is where we were at in November before we even knew what this virus was, then tell me what the number is. What is it? What, what's what's victory look like then? There is no number. We're doing it wrong when you think in terms of the data. You need to think in terms of government programs and which yeah. government program voluntarily that's goes why we away. Can, that's why we cannot go along yes. with this on that level. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm pointing out, hey, how come we didn't wear masks every single flu season? You guys know what their answer to that's going to be. Starting every flu season, we got to wear masks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's, the, way, well, that's the way tyranny thinks. Yeah. Fauci's out there. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Talking about that. So Jared Beck says a journalist finally asked my governor in Ohio, Mike DeWine. Has there ever been a more appropriately named governor, by the way, than DeWine? Have you met the guy? No, I've never met him. But goodness, just everything about him just screams beta, man. Like John Kasich. I could see John Kasich impregnating my wife before Mike DeWine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, Mike DeWine, really? Seriously? I mean, gosh, that guy is an, is is erectile dysfunction incarnate, okay? Anyway, let me get to this guy's email finally. 
<laughs> now that I got that off my chest. A journalist asked my governor, Mike DeWine in Ohio, what is the end goal metric in order to lift restrictions? His answer was, the end goal is pretty simple. To keep as many people alive in the state as we can. What do you make of this answer? It's complete and total bunk. It's, it's horseplay. First of all, DeWine put out a thing earlier this week. The masks are working, but I'm concerned about rising cases. What are the masks supposed to prevent, guys? What are they, what are, what are they supposed to prevent? I don't know anymore. Yeah, I know. They're supposed to prevent you giving it to somebody else. They agree now that it, everyone agrees now it doesn't stop you from getting it. it it's, to, it's, it's, it's to stop the spread by stopping you from spreading it to someone else. Okay? So think about that. On one hand, the masks in Ohio are working, but he's concerned about rising cases. There's an obvious question to follow up with here, don't you think? Which is, sir, how are the masks working if we have rising cases? Well, the cases would rise even more. How do you know that? How can you quantify that? It's, it's arguing the welfare state, like you just said. You, you're telling me hunger is still a problem in America, and we have spent trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on the welfare state. So then how, how low does poverty in America have to go before we don't have to do a welfare state anymore? Well, if we had not, if we'd not spent those trains, it'd be even worse. Well, how do you quantify that? Bigot! Racist. Why do you hate poor people, Steve? Right? Mm-hmm. Has that not been the welfare state argument for the last 30 years? Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. getting louder. Yeah. It's the same arguments that are being applied here. Yep. So, the end goal is pretty simple, to keep as many people alive in the state as we can. Does Mike DeWine really believe that? Ask him this question, Jared. How many abortion clinics are open in Ohio, sir? Then smoke them if you got them. That's really our standard? Keep as many people alive as we can? How many abortion clinics are open in Ohio? How many? Find out. Does he really believe that? Secondly, that's that's not a standard. First of all, we're under the epidemic. It's a standard if there's like an epidemic. We're actually under the epidemic threshold for deaths again. So there's not an epidemic. So then what is the standard? That's a slogan. It's not a standard. That's a rationale for power. But it's not a standard. I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I don't know who the Democrat nominee for governor was that Mike DeWine beat. You would have been better off. Maybe not on other issues, okay? Maybe not on other issues. But in this pandemic, you'd have been better off with the Democratic governor. You gotten all the same policies and they would and you would have more successfully organized against them than you can in Ohio right now. Well, yeah, that's our guy. It's the Republican. We don't want the Democrats. That that garbage. Okay. You'd have been better off. I don't I don't know who Mike DeWine beat, whoever it was. You'd have been better off with him as governor for the or her for that matter for the last six months. Better off. Even Gretchen Whitmer can be pressured. High school football coming back to Michigan. You'd have been better off with the other person. 
because you would have gotten all of the estrogen. But then you'd actually have some like masculine revolting against it. Yeah, you have any thoughts on that standard? To keep as many people alive. You know what? You share your thoughts. I want to I haven't done this in a bit. Let me look up Ohio's COVID information. Ohio COVID deaths. What do you think of that as a standard, Todd? The standard is whatever we need it to be in any yeah, given I circumstance. Mean, yeah. So I said, like, what do the masks mean anymore? I it's a standard that I'm tired of standards that are divorced from reality. That's that's my comment, which is almost every single one of them, wherever we turn. Ohio has 11.9, or I'm sorry, 11.7 million people. Okay. And 4,354 COVID deaths, deaths with COVID in Ohio. So 4,354 in real time. Divided by 11, 600,000. 0.03%. 0.03. That's how many Ohioans have died with COVID. With. With. We don't know what the number, the from number is, but with. So not take 6% of that. 0.03%. So... Aaron, you talk, because I'm going to look something else up here in just a second. Um, I don't have any jokes off the top of my head. Um, one thing... Okay, I found the number. Okay. But you, okay. <laughs> nice. I was going to pivot towards the unfalsifiability fallacy again, because that's what we always, always get back to. If you can dialogue with these people, it always gets back to the unfalsifiability fallacy. Well, uh, these people who didn't do this thing that we recommended, uh, that's the reason why their cases are going up. Yes. And if we did do that and their cases still go up, well, it would have been even worse. Even worse had we not done this. So I just... I just ran some numbers. I just thought of this in real time. So forgive the awkward last minute. Aaron, you did fine trying to fill in and filibuster while I was doing this math. Okay. I just went and looked at Ohio's flu, um, uh, flu deaths in 2019. Okay. According to the Ohio uh, Department of Health, 4,000 465 total flu-associated hospitalizations in 2019. So roughly about the COVID deaths, okay? Now get this, adult flu deaths are not reported to the Ohio Department of Health. Hmm. So, 4,465 is 0.04% of the Ohio population. So 0.04% of the Ohio population last year had to be hospitalized for flu, but that wasn't enough to get their attention to find out what the death rate amongst those hospitalizations were. But if 0.03% die, that's enough to turn uh, you know a college campus in Ohio into a police state? Does that make any sense to you? Like I said, I'm tired of standards that have nothing to do with reality, which is almost all of them. Slippery slope arguments remain undefeated. 
Branson Anderson says, I'm a professional songwriter looking for real information on the virus. I need help in my research. I have no idea how or where to start. My main questions are these. Why didn't the world shut down when swine flu broke out? Donald Trump wasn't president. Is swine flu less deadly than COVID? No. Uh, but it is. It, it, it was more infectious. First of all, our testing wasn't as screwy as it is now when we had 60 million cases of that H1N1. Is there a place I can find reliable information to share and support my theory that we can tour and play shows again? Was there a failed attempt by the media to instill a fear and a panic-induced shutdown with swine flu? No. And they only succeeded this time because of a more prevalent use of social media. Yes, that's part of it, but also because Donald Trump is president. I mean, hey, just, just listen. The L.A. County Health Director told you last night on a conference call, flat out just said it. Schools in L.A. will reopen probably sometime after the election. So there you go. As to whether it's okay to tour and play shows, I think it's been it would be it would have been fine with with some you know reasonable accommodations like sanitizer and things of that nature to have been doing it outdoors all summer long with some attendance. I wouldn't like when put like a hundred thousand people in a, in a, in a grandstand, but with some attendance restrictions and, 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 and some sanitation, I think you could have been doing it outdoors all along. I think indoors, we don't really know because we haven't really tested that yet. Um, you know, we had the George Floyd funeral in Houston. We had, um, well here in Iowa, we had the family leadership summit, right? But I think the indoor thing, we don't really know the answer to that yet because the thing to know about coronavirus is that it thrives in indoor climate-controlled environments. It doesn't like the heat, and it doesn't like the sunlight. So, of course, let's lock everybody down for six months. But now we're heading into the time of year where it's tougher to do things outdoors, right? You know? So, I, you know, I, I, I think we had a window to get people outside and their immunity systems built up, and now we're trying to compromise their immunity systems, their systems by covering their faces everywhere they go. Final thoughts, Todd and Aaron. My final thoughts are what Aaron said about psychosis. You just, it, it is time to move forward bravely, but we're incapable. Our biggest problem is up here and in here. It's not biological. Amen to that. We're going to stick around and do overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great weekend. We're off on Monday. We'll see you on Tuesday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.